I had a woman the other day who just started randomly calling me Danny, and I was like, that's not okay. <laughs> you can't just assign someone a nickname without their consent. <laughs> it's so funny. I was like, what? Oh, oh, we're going with my nickname now? Okay. everybody, and welcome to Book Retorts. I'm Danielle. I'm Sam. And this is a podcast where one of us explains a weird media piece to the other person who has no experience or knowledge of it. That's me. I don't know anything. That's a you. Uh, okay. We go in this room, <laughs> are we? <laughs> and today I get the honor of sharing a lovely book with Sam. Ooh, an actual book on book retorts. I know. It's a rare occurrence, but it does occasionally happen. I know. We're we're very bad. <laughs> it's not true. Just, you know, books take more time and effort and enthusiasm. And we're lazy and just want to share a bunch of other weird stuff, too. Well, there's just so many weird things in the world, Sam. That, that's true. So much weirdness, so little time. So why are we wasting <laughs> it now? What's this book? <laughs> this book, we are foraying into uh-huh. the wonderful author, Madeline Langle. Oh, I love Madeline Langle. I love her too. Yeah, your love is deeper than mine. I'll be- my love is deeper than yours. One of my favorite books is written by her and actually has some of these elements from this book in it. Ooh. So it's exciting. So this book is called The Arm of the Starfish. They have what? Seven arms? Five. Five, Five. arms. Oh, okay. <laughs> According to this book. <laughs> I mean, I believe it. I've seen a starfish. I just don't remember how many arms they, they had. They look like stars. Yeah. They have well, five. there could be lots of... There are six-pointed stars, Danielle. I'm sure that some do have more than five arms. Yeah, That's mutants. probably a thing. <laughs> yeah. So, The Arm of the Starfish, published in 1965. Oh. Yeah. And it's the first of a series of novels featuring the O'Keefe family. I don't... You've read Wrinkle in Time, Sam. I have read a Wrinkle in Time. Yeah. And O'Keefe is the last name of Calvin in the... Oh, so that's like the friend they bring her along, right? Yes. And this is the O'Keefe family. This is set about a generation after A Wrinkle in Time. So it's not the Georgia O'Keefe family. No. Oh. It is Calvin and his wife, Meg Marie, who is Meg O'Keefe in this. Okay. She was ma- Oh, so they end up getting married. How they sweet. They do. Yeah, because most of O'Lingle's books kind of are little grouped sections where they age throughout the book. So she's done like the cinematic universe before there was a cinematic universe. Absolutely. Yep. It's not about Meg and Calvin. They're just side characters in this, but it's the first that kind of deals with a bunch of their kids that they have. Ooh, so it's like the wrinkle in time, the next generation. Uh, Yeah, give or take. It's oddly, it does not have anything to do with space or time. <laughs> What's the name of the book again? I already forgot. <laughs> the Arm of the Starfish. Oh, well, okay. With that name like that, I would expect it not to have anything to do with space or time. Well, that's good. It has lots to do with the sea, though. Oh, shocking. <laughs> I'm going to send you the summary. Okay. And we'll start from there. Great. So here we go. When Adam Eddington, a gifted marine biology student, makes the acquaintance of blonde and beautiful Callie Cutter, ooh, at Kennedy International Airport on his way to Portugal to spend the summer working for the renowned scientist Dr. O'Keefe, that's a mouthful, he has no <laughs> idea that the seemingly chance meeting will set into motion a chain of events he will be unable to stop. 
Caught between Kali's seductive wiles and the trusting adoration of Dr. O'Keefe's daughter, Polly, Adam finds himself enmeshed in a deadly power struggle between two groups of people, only one of which can have right on its side. As the danger escalates, Adam must make a decision that could affect the entire world. Which side is he on? What? <laughs> Tells you absolutely nothing. <laughs> I mean, you no, know, it says... A lot. None of it makes any sense. <laughs> well, that's good, because I swear the first half of this book does not make sense. <laughs> that's crazy. So it's like a meet-cute goes into Fate of the World-style shenanigans. Yes. Like, as soon as it happens. <laughs> yeah, I guess we're done then. We got it. <laughs> and then there's some starfish in there. That's that's the plot. Oh, right. That's, I keep reading the title of this book. <laughs> and you're like, huh, I wonder how starfish tie into the fate of the world. You'll find out this week on Book Retorts. This week or next week? Uh... Next week on Booker There we go. (laughs) 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 Gotta leave that teaser in there, Danielle. (laughs) Definitely next week. All right. So we open, we're meeting Adam, as we just established, main character of this book. He's age 16. He's at the Kennedy International Airport, and his plane to Lisbon, Portugal, is fogged in. Oh, no. I know. He's delayed, but he's, he's pretty excited. He is a little nervous. This is his first overseas trip. So he's been studying marine biology for some years. I realize he's only 16. This book kind of acts like he's much older than 16. Yeah, I was about to say, how many 16-year-olds are like, yes, I have my PhD in marine biology. I mean, is he painted as a a prodigy or is he just like... Yeah, kind of. Like, they they don't push him as a prodigy, but it's definitely established that he's done a lot of studying on marine biology. He is studying with a renowned marine biologist named Dr. Didymus. Didymus. And, yeah, Dr. Didymus. Great. And he's decided to send him off to work with the extremely well-known Dr. Calvin O'Keefe for a summer internship. Now, question. Yes. This might be, again, me trying to bring in the the angle verse into this too much. <laughs> but is Calvin extremely well-known and amazing because of his extraplanetary adventures with Miss Who, Miss Witch, and Miss What's-It? No, and there's actually... This series really has very little to do with any of that. That's barely... It's not even brought up in this That's, book. Okay. I mean, all right. Sure. <laughs> He's just well-known because he's a very well-known marine biologist. <laughs> so not only does he have extraplanetary adventures, but also a real gift for marine biology. Yeah, and they also talk about marine biology like it's something that the average person keeps up with. Because later he's talking to one of the characters, and Adam is, and he's like, oh, you've probably heard of Dr. Dynamis. He's pretty renowned in his field. And I was like, nobody knows. A mar- Name a marine biologist. <laughs> Quick question, Danielle. Yes. Are you saying renowned? I did say renowned, but I meant renowned. You say it like twice now. <laughs> I know I did. <laughs> anyway, point is, no, uh, marine biology is not like a sport or other big pop culture thing. Everyone's like, oh, yes, I have trading cards for marine biologists. I know. It's wild. So O'Keefe is running experiments on the regeneration properties of starfish. <sighs> of course. That's what you need to know. Yep. Cough their <laughs> arms, the they title. regenerate. Yep. Yes. So he's he's in the airport. He's waiting for his flight. He sees a girl about his age who's watching him. And she finally approaches and she's like, don't I know you from somewhere? That old chestnut. Uh And he denies it. He's like, "Mm, I definitely remember you. So he's kind of hitting on her a little bit. Oh, Adam. And she introduces herself as Callie. She's the daughter of a high-powered businessman in Lisbon. So she's traveling there as well. All right. So they're immediately the villains. Maybe. You'll find out. A high-powered businessman. (laughs) Yeah, villain. (laughs) So they find out they're heading to the same place, though Adam's heading for an island off the southern end of Portugal, and she's staying in Lisbon. And she finds out that he's going to be working with O'Keefe. She's not pleased by this, but she suggests getting lunch, and she'll tell him more about 
O'Keefe, kind of give him a rundown Dish the on dirt. It. They're walking towards the restaurant, and she sees this clergyman walking towards her with a young, redheaded girl who's about 12. And she like tries to avoid this clergyman. And when Adam's like, hey, what you doing? <laughs> She explains that this man is named Canon Tallis, and he's a phony, and he should be avoided at all costs. Why is this everyone in this airport right now? I don't know, but literally the entire like, everybody's on these flights. I've to been Lisbon. to JFK. It's a big airport. Even if some <laughs> I knew was there, I don't think I just bump into them randomly unless we're all going on the same flight. Well, they're all going to Lisbon, so you know. Oh, okay. Well, I guess it shows what I know. <laughs> Lisbon, the popular tourist station for priests with young girls. Ooh, actually, yes. let me just not say that. Lingle is big on her fate and destiny in some ways and so you know wasn't she like lutheran or something like put a lot of yes there's a lot of like religious undertones yes. so a lot of the character names are based or are religious themed mm-hmm. but she definitely does a lot of like the uh, power and religion dynamics which is interesting to read about so yeah. it's not just like a religious just to be clear i'm not saying she was or wasn't lutheran but i just remember that there was some religious tone to her books and i don't remember what they were <laughs> i'm not sure i don't know her religious backstory but all almost all of her books have some kind of yeah. religious which is uh, fine nothing wrong with that it's them. just yeah it helps make them make more sense <laughs> it does so the girl with canon talus is and canon is not his name canon as in the religious canon got it i got it <laughs> He doesn't explode, what you're saying. Some of our our listeners. The girl is O'Keefe's daughter, and her name is Polly. So the priest is taking O'Keefe's young daughter to him in Lisbon for some reason. You find out later that he's her godfather. Ah. They're big family friends, and they've basically been raised together. You'll find out later why they're all together. Okay. So as they're chatting over lunch, she pretty much develops this big old crush on Callie, of course. Yeah, pretty girl in an airport. What's not to love? I know. While you're on layover, that's exactly what happens. Every time. She stresses that he can't trust O'Keefe or Talis, but before she's able to really tell him much of anything, they don't know what they talk about for the 30 minutes they're together, but it's apparently not this. Oh, it's one of those. You're like, (laughs) come closer. I must tell you the secret before I die. Yeah. Her flight gets called. She's on a different flight that's going straight. Like, there's just two flights that's going to Lisbon. He's on the other one. And they're in the same gate. Okay. Apparently. (laughs) So her flights get called. She leaves. And he's quite bemused by the entire situation. But he's like, this is such a grand adventure. Like, how cool. And I'm in the middle of some kind of weird secret. And I'm going to Lisbon. And this is very exciting. (laughs) (laughs) He's a little naive in the beginning of this. Oh, yeah, but apparently just, you know, a whiz-bang at marine <laughs> yeah, biology. biology. Yeah. You know what? Everybody has a skill set, Sam. Fair enough. So waiting for his flight, he watches Talis and the girl, and they eventually, they actually board the same flight that he's on. And so he doesn't sleep as the flight's overnight. He doesn't sleep. He's a first-time flyer. He's just very excited about it. He's watching stuff out the window. He has a window seat. Ooh. And unfortunately, as they start to arrive in Lisbon, due to fog, the plane ends up having to bypass Lisbon and it ends up going to Madrid instead to land there. Look at the strike. It was fogged in in New York, so they couldn't leave. Mm-hmm. Now that it gets to Lisbon, it gets fogged in again, fogged in basically, there. and they can't yep. land. Is, Correct. It, all right. Is there some nefarious force controlling <laughs> fog in this book? The weather, the climate, weather gods? No. I don't know. Like some kind of like, all right, because this is all very much like, it feels like there's a, a fog god targeting Adam. Like, you will never make it to Lisbon. Mwahaha. 
<laughs> That's exactly what's going on behind the scenes. You just don't realize it yet. It, I can't explain how there's double fog days here. Well, the evil businessman, or supposedly is evil according to you, um, is actually creating yeah, yeah, a super weather machine. Tell me I'm wrong if I'm wrong. I'm not going to tell you that this early. It's like three pages into the book, oh, Well, I'm definitely right. Because <laughs> you love telling tell me I'm wrong. Tell you either way. Not if it's going to ruin the surprise of the book. All right, fair enough. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but I, I got a sense. And so he's actually excited about being waylaid to Madrid because he's like, oh, cool. I get to spend a day in Madrid because apparently he thinks he's going to spend all day there. And he informs the flight attendant that he needs, this is 1965. Remember, he informs the flight attendant that he needs to send a message back to the person that's picking him up in Lisbon that he's not going to be able to make it. And he mentions that it's uh, Dr. O'Keefe and Talis overhears him. Ooh. And so they deboard and go through customs. And as he gets to the custom agent, they ask where he's going. He's like, well, I was going to Lisbon or actually to Gaia, Gaia. I'm not sure what the island's called. To work for Dr. O'Keefe. He just and they loves start... name dropping. Well, he doesn't actually say Dr. O'Keefe originally. They're like, why are you going to Gaia? And he's like, oh, I'm going to work with Starfish with Dr. O'Keefe that, that works there. He's a marine biologist. And they get very suspicious. And he's detained by customs. That businessman, he's got long tentacles. Yes, that must be it. And so he's being interrogated in this room. And as it's kind of like spinning wildly out of control, Talus ends up walking into the room. Sure. Just priest can do that. Well, he does. He walks in <laughs> and he says the quote, but yield who will to their separation. And the inspector grudgingly returns, my object in living is to unite. And then he just summarily dismisses Adam from the interrogation. He's like, oh, it looks like your papers are in order. Have a great day. Wow. Adam gets to leave the room. There's... Some secret society stuff going on. Exactly. So he follows Talus out. They don't actually have a conversation. He follows Talus out to the bus that's been delayed. They're busing everybody to a hotel that was on the plane. And the, they was waiting for him. And they bus out and they arrive at the hotel and they end up going their separate ways to their different hotel rooms. So I'm like, oh, this guy came in, said a magic phrase, got me out of trouble with the law. I'm just going to pretend I'm not interested in what he has to say. He's kind of like suspicious because Callie told him not to trust him. And he oh, yeah, also Callie, is like, super trustworthy. Yeah. Well, and then he's like, you're going to have to... Oh, man, Sam, I have thoughts <laughs> about the rest of the story. <laughs> I bet. So they arrive at the hotel. He goes to his hotel room. He's like, okay, I'm not going to lay down. I'm just going to take a shower, get some food, and I'm going to go to the Prado Museum. Like, if I lay down, I'm going to fall asleep. I'm so tired. As he's getting out of the shower, there's a knock on his door, and he's interrupted, and it turns out that it's Talis. So Adam's feeling particularly wary, as I said, because of the stuff that Callie said. I don't know why he trusts Callie over anybody else in this book, but he's got a crush, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, you might as well. I mean, teenage boys are not really known for their sound judgment. <laughs> I know. So Talis asks him if he's playing the sleep or sightsee, and he admits that he was going to go to the Prado Museum. And Talis basically is like, well, Polly's taking a nap, but that's where we were going to do as well. So why don't we get some food, and then we could go to the Prado together, and I'll give you the tour. And he'll brief him about O'Keefe as well, since he's good friends with the family. Aw. Yeah. And so this is where I thought this was so strange. Right after all this happens, they haven't even had food yet. He asks Adam, he's like, hey, could you do me a favor? Uh -oh. Could you travel with Polly the rest of the way to Lisbon? I have some unexpected business in Madrid. And you just like fly in the plane or Dr. O'Keefe's going to meet you at the airport. So you're going to dump this child that you're responsible for on a random teenager? Yeah. 
It's exactly no. what happened. Yeah, it's exactly what happened. And the more you get into the story, the more you're going to realize how way weird this was. <laughs> maybe Kali's onto something. Maybe I was too harsh on her. Maybe she's like, yeah, these people are just irresponsible with their children. They're terrible parents yeah. and terrible guardians. And again, she's like an older 12-year-old, but it, and she's like, I think I traveled alone when I was 12 on a plane, but that's not really the point. <laughs> no, it's not the point at all. You don't just like give your charge like and I don't think you were traveling internationally for one alone. No, it was not. So no. So yeah, it was wild. And he's like, Well, I don't know how to get out of that and you know You could say sure. <laughs> uh, I'm sixteen and I should not be responsible for another life. Well he's like, I'll take you to the airport, I'll make sure you get on the plane and all you have to do is like sit with her on the plane, don't let her out of your sight, and then Dr. O'Keefe will meet both of you there. You're going to the same place anyway. So I like get the concept, but at the same time, yeah, bananas, bananas idea. Totally. So over breakfast he explains that he brought Polly along, that Polly's a bit of like a wonderkin, you know, she's also a very advanced twelve year old. She helps her father. Everyone in the lab. In these books is like Always. Charles Wallace levels yeah. of genius. <laughs> she's not that high up, but she's she's like a fairly normal twelve year old. But she's definitely like high level of thinking. And her parents are scientists. Like it's a whole thing. She's raised in that environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She speaks like five languages. She's the eldest of all the O'Keefe children, of which there are several. And she's taking a much deserved vacation with Talis. She's like my life has been so hard as a twelve year old. I'm already burnt <laughs> out of my science work and raising all these siblings. I just need to get away. From for a week to, to Spain and Lisbon and unwind, you know, the nice glass <laughs> well, of wine on the beach. They kind of get into it later, Sam. <laughs> She's had a little bit of a hard life. But yeah, no, they're just trying to like get her out of well, there. I, I don't know about what's happening later in this book, Danielle. That's on you. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, it's, it's a weird thought. What you're saying to me now is like this <laughs> child is trying to pull a sex in the city type scenario. I'm like, no, you did not earn that. So he says he was giving some lectures in Boston and they had planned to travel a bit more after that, but between the fog and some other issues rising. Unfortunately, they're cutting their trip short, and that's why they were heading back to Lisbon. And he says, you know, please take good care of her. Don't let her out of your sight. There's a lot of undesirable characters interested in O'Keefe's experiments, and, like, I'm not going to explain any more of that, so we're just going to have to trust nobody each explain other. anything? Nobody does in this. This whole first half of this book is just nobody explaining anything, and poor Adam's like, what's going on? That is so frustrating. Like, I, I have a... <laughs> special kind of frustration with plots in books, movies, whatever, that could be solved in the first two minutes if somebody just actually said what was going on or told the truth or just explained themselves for two minutes. And it's not like you're keeping some deep, dark secret or like telling Adam would somehow endanger the world, I'm sure. Yeah, so I usually do as well. I, as you know, I hate miscommunication and plots that could be resolved if people just talk to each other. This kind of has some reasoning behind it as to why they wouldn't explain more to Adam, but at some point it becomes ridiculous that they're not just explaining everything to Adam because he has all the pieces. <laughs> yeah, and they're entrusting Adam with this little girl. The child, I yeah. know. You it's might want to say, if you, if you trust him enough to take care of the child, you're like, oh, there are a bunch of undesirable characters out there who would harm this child, but here, you take care of her, but I'm not, I don't trust you enough to actually tell you what's going on. What? Yep, and Adam doesn't trust him either, so it's a big pile of antitrust. <laughs> antitrust, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> that is very different than what I'm used to doing with antitrust. <laughs> so they finish up breakfast. They go to get Polly. Polly and Adam kind of hit it off. And they enjoy the Prado together. Though Adam's pretty tired because he hasn't basically hasn't slept in about two days. And Oof. as they're wandering, Adam overhears Talis quietly say another verse, like similar to what he said the first time, to a guard who returns it as well. And now he's just getting kind of like weirded out by the whole thing. Oh, now he's getting weirded <laughs> out by it. Not when the priest walked into the police interrogation well, room too. and magically got him out of there with a phrase of nonsense. 
happens. So they return back to the hotel. They get picked up. They're going back to the airport. And before that, he goes back to his room. And when he gets there, he realizes that everything in his room, he thinks it's been rifled through. Things just don't look like they're quite in the right place. Uh And he's like... Okay, did did that just happen because I was out of my room or did it happen because Talis like took me out of the room on purpose so they could go through my things? So he's like not quite sure and nothing's missing. It's just that obviously it was looked through. Standard espionage stuff. Gotcha. Exactly. So he decides once he gets to Lisbon, he's going to call Callie and see if he can get more information out of her because obviously Talon's Talon's not going to tell so him anything. So did Callie like, say, hey, here's my number. Call me. No, but apparently this 1965, so everybody's in the phone book. Because that but happens a lot in this book. How do, does Kylie live in Lisbon? Because how would she have listed in the phone book in Lisbon if she's from the United States? She, I think she lives in Lisbon. Her father has a whole bunch of business interests there. All, all right. Well, I guess 1965, you win with your magic phone book directories. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what his plan was, but there you go. So they board the plane and Polly's particularly nervous. Like, she's like, take good care of me. Don't let me out of your sight. Like, she's just like, obvious. And she, he's like, what did Talis tell her? Like, obviously she's freaking out, but he thinks she's just kind of being a dramatic 12 year old. So the flight starts and she asks if she can go to the bathroom. And no. he's like, <laughs> he's, like, he's like, yeah, go for it. And she's like, okay, keep an eye on me. I'll be back in a minute. And he's reading an article. He's just not paying any attention. And after a few minutes pass, he's like, where is she? Why hasn't she come back? And see, so he starts see watching. Talis, this is why you don't <laughs> give your a super important charge to a 16-year-old without explaining what the heck's going on. You need exactly. to explain what's going on. So he starts watching the washroom and she's not coming out. So he eventually gets up and he goes and knocks on the door. It's locked. And he's like, hey, Polly, like, come out. Are you in there? Are you okay? And nobody answers. So he goes and gets one of the flight attendants. And the flight attendant gets the key and locks the door and nobody is in the bathroom. Bump, bump, bump. She went out the toilet. I got it. Yes. (laughs) She's flushed down the toilet. It's a real danger in airplanes. Yo, watch out. The steward tells him he's mistaken. It's like, there's clearly there's nobody in here. You but how was the door locked? (laughs) There's like a lot going on in this scene. So the 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 attendant's like, nobody's in here. Like, I don't know, the door is locked, but nobody was in here. And clearly nobody went to the bathroom. And he's like, search the plane. Like, clearly she has to be on the plane. And so they they look, they don't see her. She's a redheaded 12-year-old. Like, she's pretty visible. And they check. Let me get this straight. I'm sorry. I just got to back up for a second because Polly, I can't believe that's her name, but Polly clearly has some idea of what's going on. Yes? Yes. She understands there's danger, et cetera, et cetera. Because she's like telling Adam, keep a close eye on me. Don't let me out of your sight. But then she's like, I know what's going on. You don't know what's going on. I'm going to leave you to go to the bathroom. Well, I mean, he can't go to the bathroom with her, but I guess he could have come and stand outside the door, which is probably what he should have done. <laughs> right. She should have been more insistent or done anything else besides just like, hey, can I go to the bathroom? Cool. She did Peace say out. keep an eye on me and he yeah, did choose to go like, read his article. That's not but the yeah, same. she should have been more specific. Keep an eye on me from your seat. Like, what does that mean? Anybody says keep an eye on something. It's like, oh, can you watch my bag for a second? It doesn't mean like you're going like, to sit on the bag and make sure nobody like even looks at it. There's a difference between actively guarding, just like being vague mindful. Yes. Well, she didn't, and look what happened. Yeah, Polly, this is all your fault. I'm blaming the child. <laughs> also, her full name is something different. Polly's a nickname. Is it Pollyanna? No, it's Polly... <laughs> oh, gosh. It's crazy. What is her name? Okay, well, we'll find out, I'm sure, someday. Poly- Polymena, Paula... It's some kind of... Pygmalion. Like, Greek, or... I don't remember her full name. I'm not gonna lie, even though they say it multiple times in the book. That's fine. I'm sure one of our <laughs> listeners can tweet it at you. That's true. If you happen to remember Polly's full name, apparently I can't look it up in the book. <laughs> yeah, that's way too much effort. 
So he's like, check the flight manifest. You'll see that I came in with a little girl. And so the, the flight attendant and they, there's two of them, they look it up and they don't, they're like, nobody by the name of O'Keefe is on this plane. Uh-oh, shenanigans. Uh-oh. So they're convinced he's having some kind of like mental health episode and they are like, you need to sit down. There's there's turbulence. Go put your seatbelt on. We can deal with it when you get to the gate. And so he's sitting down. He's like, but what about like her bag? Her bag is under the seat with me. And they look and there's no bag under the seat. It's also missing. <gasps> Oh. It's like a, a, a time-space anomaly. Oh, she got Thanos snapped or whatever. You, you'd think so in a lingo book, but that's not what happens. <laughs> Is there just some very effective kidnappers? Yes, apparently. Oh, yeah, wow. Those guys are st- <laughs> Give or take. How are they that good? I mean, what's wow. What's wild to me is that they were with this whole group, right? They were on a bus. They traveled together. Yeah. There was a priest and with they, a girl. And they on the plane and to no, do this. Well, that and nobody on the plane is like, oh, yeah, there was a redhead, a redheaded child. People remember redheaded children. Yeah, like, especially the stepchildren. <laughs> like you're like, oh, nobody remembers this. Apparently everybody's just like, maybe there was a little girl I don't recall. Everybody who kind of overhears what's going on. That is, wow, those kidnappers are phenomenal. I want to hire them to to solve (laughs) all my problems. Like, can you balance my budget? You can barely do anything. You're magic. So he's starting to kind of doubt himself. He's having like that moment that you probably would have if everybody around you was like, you know, there was no child. You're crazy. And... He eventually ends up making eye contact with a rabbi who's sitting nearby who kind of gives him a look. <laughs> so a priest and a rabbi are on a plane with a redheaded girl. <laughs> yes. And as he's as they're getting off the plane, the plane lands, as he's getting off the plane, he kind of leans over to the rabbi and whispers. He's like, I came on the plane with a little girl, right? And the rabbi just like imperceptibly nods at him and doesn't say anything else. And he's like, okay, thank God. <laughs> like, no, I'm not that makes going it worse insane. Because you came on this plane with a little girl and now she's gone. That's infinitely yeah. worse. No, it is worse. But it's also like, okay, I'm not going crazy. So that's, I guess, 50-50. Okay. So in the airport, he immediately goes to the little table and he's trying to tell him that he needs to file a missing person report that there's a child on board the flight that is no longer there and the the server person there is being less than helpful Duh. And he's promptly interrupted by dr o'keefe who arrives and the rabbi is with him so dr o'keefe has just got like priests and rabbis on his side at all times yes <laughs> <laughs> cool there's like a whole network of people involved in this conspiracy theory love it and O'Keefe is like, oh, I'm sorry. He's had a really hard flight. And he just like rushes him out. And Adam's like, wait a second, your child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's very confused. And O'Keefe is like, don't blame yourself. This was bound to happen. What? This was bound to happen. What was all the shenanigans with the priest guarding her and like, don't let her off your sight. And tr- like, mm. <laughs> well, they were hoping it wasn't going to happen, but it did. And they just thought it was best for Polly to get away from it. They're being very sketchy on their details still. Yeah, but, I can Like, tell. don't blame yourself. Nothing that you could have done would have prevented this. Like, it was just faded. Okay. <laughs> so once they go to a hotel together, and once alone in the hotel, he explains that Polly's been kidnapped, of yeah, course. okay, yeah. And he's like, do you happen to know anything about my research? Like, you know, you're just coming to be a student here. How much do you know about this? And basically, Adam doesn't know more than the basics, which is that he's doing the regeneration of the starfish arms. Sure. And O'Keefe doesn't give him any more information. He's like, great, I'm going to leave it at that because the more you know, the more in danger you're in. (laughs) 
Okay, question, Danielle. Yes. How did Adam get involved in this in the first place? So Dr. Didymus and Dr. O'Keefe um, know each other. Sure, sure, and- sure. But like if Dr. O'Keefe is like, the more people know about my work, the more danger they're in. But yeah, sure, well, they- send over your 16-year-old student and let me get well, them all in danger. Well, they talk about it a little bit later, but basically they didn't – like they knew that maybe there were going to be some issues with the work that he was doing, which we'll get into. But they don't – they didn't realize it was going to become an issue so quickly. So okay. they thought they were totally fine for now. All right. Like, I understand. There's a lot, a, of, like, a lot of wanting child endangerment in this book. <laughs> I do not disagree. That's one of the like hilarious things about this book is just things are willy-nilly all through it. <laughs> all right. Well, it's not just me then. <laughs> the plans <Good>. are wild. <laughs> so basically, Polly knew too much. And that's yeah, she why did. she was kidnapped. <laughs> This this redheaded child, she knows too much, boss. We gotta take care of her. <laughs> it's great. So he's gonna go off. He's got to go talk to you know Interpol, the embassy, etc. Try and figure out how to get Polly back. And he wants Adam to stay in the hotel. He's like, get some rest. You know, this is a perfect time to sleep. There's nothing you can do. Do not open the door. Just answer phone calls. If anybody calls, sleep. I'll be back whenever I'm back. Well. Okay, they have like a secret knock or something so Adam knows when it's O'Keefe? Oh, I assume O'Keefe will just come into the hotel Oh, he has room. the key. Got it. Yeah, it's like a double locked door from the inside. Mm-hmm. And so he goes promptly to sleep. It's been like three days since he slept. Yeah, he lost so, a child. That's stressful. <laughs> very dramatic. <laughs> and so he's asleep for like two seconds and somebody starts knocking on the door. And he opens and the he door because he's a teenager. And he guesses who's in the door. Who's at the door, Sam? Is it Callie? It's Callie! Yeah! <laughs> He's not sure what to do because he's still he hasn't unlocked the door, but he's not sure what to do. And Callie explains to the door, she's like, I know the O'Keefe's always stay at this hotel, so I knew this is where they would be. And I just saw Dr. O'Keefe at the embassy. He was talking to somebody there as there for a dinner party with my dad. And so I knew he was gone. That's why I'm here. I can help you get the girl. She's kidnapped. Like I heard that she was kidnapped. Let's go. Like, I can take you to my dad. We can totally solve this problem. Just to be clear, Danielle, it wasn't particularly impressive that I figured that out because she's like literally the only other character in this book so far. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd get it. <laughs> it could have been Talus. Uh, no, he's got stuff to take care of, Danielle. He's going to like appear later after doing a bunch of weird stuff in his side quest or whatever. Yes, sure. So he obviously is conflicted. He originally believed Callie, but he's also talked to other people since then. So he doesn't quite know what to do, but he also feels a lot of responsibility for Polly. And so the idea that Callie can help him get Polly back is very appealing to him. And he so doesn't he ends think up, well, does he? He's also operating, and they repeat this a lot, he's operating on like three days of no sleep. I'm just saying like... If she was very dismissive and distrusting of the O'Keefe's, why is her prime priority to help him find them? Well, we're going to get into that because this plan is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I do not understand it. (laughs) I do love a good dumb plan. (laughs) So she wants him to get dressed. She'll take him to the father. He questions. He's like, how come you're not taking O'Keefe to your father? Like her... That would be more helpful. It's his daughter. And she's basically like, oh, you little, like, she's from New York City. He's like, don't you know about the big bad world? Like, O'Keefe's clearly in on this. She's from New York City, but she's living in Lisbon. Okay. No, he's from New York City. Oh, he's from New York City. Okay. She's living in Lisbon. She's traveled all over the world. All right, 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 right. She's like, oh, you little country mouse. (laughs) (laughs) I've been all over the world. New York City is but a quaint little hamlet compared to my vast (laughs) experience. She's like, obviously, it's in O'Keefe's best interest that the girl's gone. He's in on it. He's ruthless and wants to keep her out of the way. And Adam's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 
Wow. Okay. Adam, she's dismissive <laughs> to you. She, at this point, I would have been like, okay, I'm not talking to you anymore. You're clearly crazy. <laughs> okay. But she doesn't know this because he doesn't know anything about O'Keefe. I mean, I don't even know anything about O'Keefe to be like, uh, what? That does not sound appropriate. <laughs> so he decides to go with Callie because otherwise there's no plot. <laughs> right. Of course. I'm sorry. Yes. Well, obviously. Gotta go with Callie. And also, you know, how much of this is just like puppy love? I mean, a lot of it. He's 16. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that, I mean, that helps explain it a bit more than just like, I get he's tired, he's not thinking well, and, you know, he's got a major attraction for her. Okay, sure, let's just go with it. Yes, that's exactly what happens. So he arrives at the house, meets her father. Her father's name is Typhon Cutter. Typhon? Typhon, T-Y-P-H-O-N. Good name! I, I, I don't know. It's no, a name. I, I'm seriously <laughs> impressed. Like, I, I mean, naming characters is hard. That's a yeah. great one. I love that one. Yeah, and it might have some background, like if the, the words might mean something. She likes to do that with her names. I'm not sure. I didn't look it up. He's a very large man, but he has very thin arms and legs, which seems at odds with the rest of him. So you skipped leg and- day. <laughs> You skip leg and arm day. Yeah. He just works out his upper body. Just the core, man. I'm a core man. <laughs> he asks him to tell him what he knows about O'Keefe's experiment, which is this. Nobody knows that much about starfish, but on the evolutionary scale, humans come pretty directly from the same phylum as the starfish. Uh, I don't know if this is true, Sam. Do not ask me. I did not look up starfish. <laughs> I don't know if it's true either, but I would not be surprised because like, if you go back far enough, aren't we all kind of... Re- all right. Again. Right. Taxonomists and- <laughs> out there, fill in the blanks for us. We're not qualified yeah, for this. If you're into starfish, or just please like know anything know. about evolutionary biology. <laughs> That would be helpful as well, because this this book really likes to talk about evolutionary biology, but it doesn't get that much in depth because it's a young adult book. Right, of course. (laughs) So basically, we both, the starfish and humans, have interior spinal columns, the same kind of body cavities, and the same kind of complex nervous system. So So we're basically all vertebrates. (laughs) Give or take. (laughs) Yes. That was a quicker way to say something that she explained in a long way. I'm just saying that's not a particularly small category of animal. (laughs) Like, oh, the rare animals that have spinal cords. So basically, the implication, this is important, of anything O'Keefe finds on the regeneration of starfish is that it may one day be able to be used on humans. All right, just to be fun here for a second, this is basically the plot of that Spider-Man movie slash cartoon slash comic <laughs> with the, the lizard, where sure. Doctor whatever who was working on lizard regeneration to regrow his lost arm. It's yeah. the same thing. <laughs> Was that before 1965? I don't know when Spider-Man came out. <laughs> uh, the cartoon and the movie certainly were. I don't know if the comic this, with that storyline. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah, yeah. I don't know when if that was a before or after thing. Somebody who knows about Spider-Man. Well, we need a lot of help in this episode. <laughs> Spider-Man, <laughs> starfish, evolutionary biology. We're just all over the map this one, Daniel. This is a really complicated <laughs> book. Wow. <laughs> Maybe we need a child psychologist in here, too, to help explain Polly. <laughs> Yeah, we'll get more into her. We should just have like a uh, conference or a forum. We get one together. Like today, we'll be discussing the book uh, something about starfish. Is the, the title? Arms I forget. Of the starfish. Right. Okay. The arms of the I starfish. I have such a hard time with this one. It's very self-explanatory. Oh yes, because we've done so much with starfish up to this point. Not like the kidnapped child or O'Keefe and family do weird stuff. And it's going to be a little bit longer before we get to any starfish. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So whatever. The point is, we could really have, I think, a, a broad conference, a multidisciplinary conference where we bring in people from all walks of life to come together to apply their methods to this book 
and just to answer our questions. If anybody has any interest in this, please message us. <laughs> Wait, we would absolutely have a panel. It'd be great. It'd be all, I'm, I'm, I'm down. I'm, I'm excited for Live this. Live stream this. It'll be great. Oh, heck yes. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> I'm sorry. We got off track there for a moment. <laughs> starfish humans. <laughs> right. Starfish and humans are pretty much the same. So we're trying to understand how starfish regenerate so we can regenerate humans, yada, yada, yada. Yes. So Typhon prompts that the implications are staggering, obviously, and essentially O'Keefe can't be trusted. The Typhon's been asked by Washington to assist the embassy and keep an eye on them, and he's going to want Adam's help. And he kind of like does this guilt thing with Adam, like, don't you want to be helpful to your country, Adam? <laughs> uh, maybe. I mean, this was a 60s, so I guess patriotism yeah, was, was all deal. time high A little, a little bit more. Yeah. But while they're talking, they're interrupted by the wail of a child. And Typhon's like, oh, it looks like we've found Polly. Oh. Uh... <laughs> Just one of my favorite parts. I was like, What? <laughs> We found Polly. She was in my house the whole time. I am Maybe. not evil. You'll find I am out. not suspicious. <laughs> Trust me, Adam. Here's Polly. Yes. This yes. is where we start to get into the evolution of this plan, and you're going to like the plan. I would love, I'm already loving the plan. The plan was to kidnap the child, to give the child back to the guy you kidnapped it from to build <laughs> That's trust. Exactly the plan. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it makes sense to me. the plan. Except it's even worse than that. It's not to build trust. There's like a whole other line of thought that's just Do they like great. bug her or something? I mean, I mean <laughs> no. like literally. That they... also would make more sense to this plot. All right. Well, I can't wait. Come on, please. You got to get spare me <laughs> from this agony of not knowing. Okay. So in what I said, is the most mind-boggling thing for me. They tell him that he's to take Polly back to her father, but not say from where he got her. And Polly's so just not going to mention that either, I suppose. She's blindfolded. Oh, okay. So he'll, not that he knows this yet, he'll see you in a bit. So he'll drop them off, and Adam is to say that he was basically kidnapped from his room. Like, he opened the door, he was immediately kidnapped and blindfolded. He was taken somewhere, interrogated, obviously didn't know anything, and then dropped off with Polly randomly. And he doesn't know why. So that that makes sense as a plan, to kidnap Polly and then give her back immediately with no ransom or other demands. Yeah, and we kind of get into this just a little bit, because there's some, like, uh, Dr. O'Keefe has some theories about this later on and the theories are dumb. <laughs> so Adam asks him what I think are appropriate questions like, yeah. how did they find her and from whom did they get her? <laughs> and his answer, Typhon's answer is, don't you know? And Adam's like, uh, no. No. <laughs> Typhon says, you'll have to find out, won't you? I can hardly spell it out more clearly. All right, Typhon, you're such what? a drama queen. I don't like you. It is very clear where they got Polly from. They kidnapped <laughs> to her. Be, to be fair, it's likely. <laughs> However, that's not what he was talking about at all. He was trying to like insinuate that it was somebody else, but who no, knows? I got that. I got that. But I, I'm saying Adam here should be able to put like two. If he's a, a biology prodigy, he can do basic arithmetic. <laughs> he takes a really long time to get there, though. The rest of us reading, I think even as a, as a young teenager, when I read this originally, I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> Not to be too pretentious, but you can put Occam's razor into this right away. Be like, <laughs> okay, did this super rich family happen to stumble across Polly immediately when I needed her? Or did they have her the whole time? And decide to give it to me, a 16-year-old boy, instead of the father? <laughs> well, to be fair, Talos did that earlier, so apparently just giving 
16-year-old boys, little <laughs> girls is a common practice in this world. Apparently. So Typhon goes on to explain. He's like, basically, I don't think O'Keefe's a bad person. I don't think he's trying to betray his country deliberately, but it looks like he's very like likely to do it inadvertently. And I'm basically around to make sure that doesn't happen. And now you've become a really important piece to both sides, Adam, since you're working for O'Keefe. And you're so important that I actually set my daughter to meet you in New York. So, question. Yes. I mean, among many others. But first, is it ever made clear why Typhon thinks this is a danger to his country? He's just saying, hey, he's doing research on starfish. That's dangerous to America. No, I think it's that he he knows that this potentially could be used on humans, or that's the thought, right? Yeah, of course. This regeneration. And so he's convinced or says he's convinced that O'Keefe is going to give this information to the wrong parties. So the Russians, the commies, obviously, it's 1960s Chinese books. Or yes, yeah, yeah, 1960s books. They do Rus- mention Russians or Chinese in general terms. Right, okay. So, great. And he apparently found out that Adam was going to work for O'Keefe and has, like, sent his daughter as a honeypot to entice him into their web. Yeah, except that even though he literally says here, like, I sent my daughter to you in New York, he... Adam never seems to think of this and is always just like, I met her randomly at the airport for the it rest of the book. Which is <laughs> just, just like mind blowing to me. All right. I don't want to be too uh, hard on Adam, but he's not that bright. I mean, okay, maybe he's a prodigy at biology, but maybe he's one of those people who's like, has an amazing skill set in one area and is just completely, you know, terrible like an idiot savant type scenario it's quite possible he's just suppose like they don't get into his backstory maybe they i think he's in other books as well so perhaps they get into it more than he is in other books um and i can't quite remember but they talk about how he did have a little bit of a hard life in new york and you think that he would be less naive than he is but somehow he is not (laughs) okay well he's just a very trusting and open person i guess yes Kind of. He doesn't trust either party. Like, no idea. He wants things to be very, like, either or, and they're definitely not in this situation. Oh, so he has a very black and white perspective. He does, and he's, like, totally bemused by the idea that there's this gray area and he has to make a decision. Oh, okay. Well, I think that kind of tracks. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that comes into play a little bit more as, like, as we go on. You'll see that more and more from him. All right. Actually, that helped a lot. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) So, uh, you, you haven't gotten this from the book yet, though. Like, the next kind of couple chapters are like him going i'm so confused because if it wasn't for you danielle i would be so if i was reading this just like by myself i'd be like i hate this character i want him to fail he is terrible i don't like him Because he is making all the wrong choices for no apparent reason. (laughs) He does, too, for quite a while. Actually, it was getting to the point a little bit later where I was like, oh, my God, just make a decision. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, now that you have, like, his his motivation a little bit more about like, okay, I can see why that would be difficult for him if he's never had to deal in gray areas before. But without that context, I would be very frustrated by this character. Yeah. So Adam mostly agrees with this. He's like, sure, yeah, I'd love to support my country. I think it's mostly just to get out of that. He's very tired at this point. He hasn't slept in three nights. Like, he's exhausted. Does he ever get to sleep, Danielle? Is this going to be the end of the book? Just, okay. In just a little bit. <laughs> and he and Polly, who's blindfolded, so Polly doesn't even know what's going on. She doesn't even know that Adam's in the car with her. She's just sitting in the car blindfolded, and he's not allowed to talk. They are dropped off in front of a hotel, and once relieved of her blindfold, Polly is like, oh, this hotel, I know somebody here. Like, let's go in we'll contact my dad we'll we'll figure it out and so they go into the hotel and they meet this man and his name is archangelo 
Archangelo? Archangelo. Okay. And he works with her family. Of course. They're taken in by him, and she asks him to call a man named Joshua Archer, who works at the embassy. And Polly explains that she was kidnapped by the flight attendants at the plane, the two that helped him. Okay. Helped, quote unquote. So that's yeah, so why they were they... the ones who were managed to hide everything because they had access to the manifest, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Yep. I'm sure they were paid off or whatever. And yep. she was taken to someone's house and driven all over. She has no idea what ha- like what happened or by who. Still, those those flight attendant kidnappers. I mean, if they're Hardcore. actual flight attendants who were just paid off, they did an amazing job as first time kidnappers. Yeah, Props or maybe they were just replaced by people who kidnap children. I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't know either. But still, well done. That was a clean yes. job. <laughs> Worth the money. So Adam shrugs off any questions because they're like, well, how did you get there? What happened? Like, like, where? why? <laughs> why <laughs> yeah. are you here? And he's like, I'm so tired. Please. I, li- I just, I can't even think. I can't begin to like, let me sleep. Please let me sleep. And so he does. He falls asleep and he sleeps for 36 hours. That sounds about right. Yeah. So he wakes up in the room with, and with him is a young man who explains that he's Joshua Archer, the guy from the embassy. He's a low level employee at the embassy. And Polly has gone home back to the island. Okay, sure. So he he gets Adam some food, but Adam isn't 100% sure he wants to answer any of Joshua's questions. He's still definitely on the fence as to who he's supposed to trust, and he still doesn't really understand what's going on. Understandably. Join the club, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) And Joshua's basically trying to get a sense of him, like if he's a person he should trust as well, and kind of suss out if... Uh, what kind of information he has or what he did. And so the two of them are kind of like playing back and forth on each other, refusing to give each other much information at all, thus getting nowhere. <laughs> so they're having like a battle of wits that just goes in circles. Yeah, sort of, yeah. But they're trying to get a sense for each other to see if they really like want to trust each other. Uh-huh. So he asks him if he wants to go back to the United States, if Adam wants to go back to the United States. And to his surprise, Adam's like, no, actually, I really do want to continue my work with Dr. O'Keefe. You know, that's why I'm here. I would be like, uh... Maybe I'm done with this. <laughs> well, O'Keefe's like, it's a huge deal to work with Dr. O'Keefe. It's like a yeah, career-changing like, thing. He deal with a guy who may be betraying his country, well, may or may not. Adam. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, but, <laughs> but he doesn't is... know. And he really liked Polly, and he feels responsible for her, and he's all like, right, he's like right. the people he's met so far. He's just not sure who he's supposed to trust. And so he's like, well, maybe if I just stay here longer, I'll figure it out. Okay, cool. Sure. And he's basically, Joshua's like, do you think that, like, are you sure that O'Keefe even wants you to be working for him? anymore which you know fair point yeah you lost his child (laughs) and he also like didn't you didn't he tell you not to open the door at the hotel you clearly opened the door at the hotel otherwise how did you get out of there and adam (laughs) explains that he felt responsible for polly and he won't admit that he opened the door for somebody so josh was like did you just leave on your own to like go see if you could find polly magically somehow or did you actually go with somebody and if you went with somebody who did you go with good questions no right and he basically, he's very like upfront. He's like, I don't know who to trust. I'm very unclear about what's going on. I don't even understand the situation, so I don't feel comfortable talking to you. And Joshua's like, I guess that's fair, but I really do need to know yeah. <laughs> what's happening. Little girl's involved. <laughs> that's like talking to the police like, hey, I know you're interrogating me about that murder, but I just really know if I can trust you right now. Like That's <laughs> exactly. not going to fly. Exactly. And Joshua is also like, also, by the way, have you happened to see Callie Cutter since the airport? <laughs> 
Man, I feel kind of bad for Adam because everyone seems to know so much more than him all around him. Like everyone around him has a clearer idea of what's going on. And he's just kind of like, what is happening? It is. But the reason why they know things is bananas. Because apparently one of the reasons that Joshua knows that Callie saw Adam at the airport is because Tyfe, uh, what's his name? Typhon. Ty- <laughs> you don't remember. Okay. It's a weird name. Whatever. So Typhon told him at an embassy dinner that his daughter and Adam had met at the airport. So Typhon Cutter, right? Yes. Told the embassy guy he doesn't trust that his daughter met Adam in the airport, thus giving him valuable information. This is the most up and up backstabbing I've ever seen in my whole life in this book. Well, who's backstabbing who? I don't understand. You know, it's just like this idea that like potentially one party is backstabbing the other party, either or. It doesn't matter. Like who knows who's But they're the all so open right? about it. But they're so open about it. They're just like chatting about it over dinner. And it happens multiple times in this book where they're just like, oh, I'm going to go on a date with Callie. And they're all like, okay, have fun. Like maybe not. <laughs> it's so crazy. Why would anybody tell them that Callie and him know each other? All right. Sure. <laughs> So he doesn't say anything about that. Obviously, he doesn't say, oh, yeah, she was the one at the hotel door. And they talk more about the world not being black and white. And Joshua's like, you know, eventually you're going to have to choose sides. And I went through that same thing. I also had to choose a side. And I feel like I chose the side that cares about people, people like Polly. And he calls that caring about the fall of the sparrow, because it's kind of a theme in the rest of the book. Okay. It's, a, it's a line from Hamlet, and it's basically the a divine essence, a divine being, being invested in small affairs and like taking care of the littlest among you, the fall Aww. of the sparrow. The whole, the whole personal connection to God kind of thing, right? Yeah, kind of. And... He's basically like, I've, you know what, uh, Adam, I've decided I'm going to trust you. And if you want to go to the island, to Gaia, then I will take you. And Adam's like, excuse me? (laughs) Didn't Adam already have transportation? I mean, he was going to have to get there one way or the other before. He was, but Joshua... I mean, everybody's left, so they oh. all went back to the island. And so Joshua he was going to go with O'Keefe, of- but O'Keefe is like, ah, I'm already gone, so go with Joshua. Yeah, and so he took his kid home, and then Joshua works at the embassy. So he's like, okay, I can either send you home or I can take you to the island. All right. So the next morning, they arrive at a small airstrip, and as they're waiting for everything to be prepared, Joshua is actually a pilot, so he's going to pilot the plane. And Josh receives a call from the embassy, and he's like, oh, I've got to go take that. There's like a loudspeaker announcement, and he takes off, and he's like, okay, Adam, don't go anywhere. Stay here. <laughs> Let me guess. Adam does not stay there. You'll find out in just a moment. (laughs) So as he's waiting, a man approaches him. And this man is in ecclesiastical garb. And he knows his name. And Adam's like, well, maybe it's a friend of... um, Talos. Talos. Right. And he introduces himself as Dr. Ball. And he's like, okay, unfortunately, Josh, you know, he took that call from the embassy. He has to actually head back to the embassy. There's a work emergency. And he wanted me to get you to the island. And immediately on guard, because... Duh. Why wouldn't you be? <laughs> Adam's like, you know, I'm actually going to stay here. I'm supposed to wait for Josh. And he's like, didn't you just hear me? Josh is not coming back. Like he had to go to the embassy. He's not here. And so he's remembering Josh's request not to go anywhere. He's like, there's no way Josh would just leave without telling me. Yeah, of course. And so he's he tries multiple times to get him to go. And f- frustrated, he's interrupted by Archangelo, who appears with a porter. Who's Archangelo again? He's the friend of the hotel. The guy at the hotel. Yep. Just one of the family friends who helps with them. Uh, Okay. And he basically waylays them until... So wait, what's Archangelo doing at the embassy slash airport? Uh, they're not at the embassy. They're just at that little 
field airport. Whatever. The point is, why is he at the hotel where he works? I think Archangelo is just following everybody (laughs) because he's in multiple places through the book. He just randomly shows up. All right. Good for him, I guess. Yeah. At one point, he is following a character. So I think that's probably what he's doing. Okay. And he kind of points over to Joshua, who is now walking back across the airport. And uh, Adam's like, I knew he wasn't gone. (laughs) See, he's right there. (laughs) And Dr. Ball, in a low voice, admits that he was sent by Typhon Cutter to do something. You don't know what. Take him to Gaia, talk to him. He says, I was sent to do mysterious things. He's like, oh, I'm sent by Typhon Cutter. We're supposed to talk. Like, I don't know what his master plan was. They don't don't mention it Uh, yet. Again, question. If Typhon Cutter's plan is to use Josh as a mole inside the O'Keefe research project... Uh-huh. Why send his person there to intercept him when he's about to go to the research I project? I don't know, Sam. Is that is what is in my notes? I'm like, <laughs> why? Why would they do this? Why is there any reason to talk to this kid? They've already talked to him. He mostly agreed. He's like, they could talk to him later. And all they're doing <laughs> is making him more suspicious Way to the O'Keefe people. Which means he's going to be less effective as a mole. I don't know, Sam. I don't know what the plan is. (laughs) Okay. It's a very frustrating plan. It is. The Cutter plan is somehow more convoluted than Adam's moral wrestlings. And it somehow gets worse as time goes on. Oh, boy. I can't imagine how that's going to play out, so I'm excited to see. So he says I'll get a message to him later. Don't tell Josh. I'm going to go, basically. And Josh and Dr. Ball kind of pass each other. They do know each other. They both met each other at the embassy. They kind of have some small talk, and Josh is clearly upset by the interaction. So they get in the plane, and as they're flying off, Josh tells them that the call from the embassy was staged, that it was just an excuse to get him off. And Adam's like, oh, that makes sense because Dr. Ball wanted to talk to me or something, and he told me that you had left. And so Josh thinks that Ball was trying to get him to commit more firmly to working with the Cutters. I was like, he already... That's such a completely asinine reason to do this whole lavish charade that might undermine your entire plan. Right. And it also proves that like everybody knows that Adam has talked to the Cutters. <laughs> right. They know Adam is a mole, or a potential mole at least, and they're just fine with it. Yeah. This is like the least secret plan in the world. They're choosing to trust. There's a lot about trust in this book, and they're choosing to trust Adam even though they have no real reason to yet. <laughs> Man, that's a choice. <laughs> and he thinks that Adam's basically chosen in his head because he's going to work with O'Keefe and he wouldn't do that and wouldn't like mess with all of that if he wasn't going to actually side with O'Keefe in the end. But Adam refuses to commit fully yet until he feels clearer in his head about the whole situation. Also, don't they have reason to distrust Adam, at least from a competence perspective, in terms of him losing Polly? Yeah, but they don't blame him for it. They're like the most forgiving uh, kidnapped parents and family ever. They're like, oh, it's fine. It wasn't your fault. We after, I mean, after all, we just gave you a kid. We didn't tell you anything okay, that was that going on. That part's true. Like, it was totally on them for just giving this <laughs> random say team that later. Child, but also uh, clearly cloak and dagger stuff is not one of his core competencies. No, and even Doctor Keep says that later. Is like, yeah, Cannon felt a little bad about just giving you her and not telling you much about what was going on. God, these I, I don't know which side is more incompetent in their machinations. That's wild. Is the cutter super convoluted, super obvious plan worse than the O'Keefe just like? 
I'll just trust this random kid and not tell him anything plan. Like, which one is the less competent plan? I, I, I think Le Ingle in her books has does a lot of stuff about like innately trusting people. If you give them trust, they'll give you, they'll give you respect and trust back as sure. opposed to not trusting anybody. It's a big theme in a lot of her books. And so I think that's one of the core concepts behind this, that even though as a reader, you're going, that's bananas, is like they're just trusting Adam because they believe that he'll do the right thing in the end, which okay. is, yes, sometimes naive, but plays out well enough, I sure. guess. I, I, I feel like, okay, sure, but that doesn't feel like the strong theme of this book. <laughs> that's from what one I've of heard. the many themes. Well, I, I get it. I'm just saying – Maybe if I read it, I would pick up on that better. But so far, this has not been a book about like, hey, Adam, you got to learn to trust people and open up. This is a book about Adam, pick a side. And also, we're super obviously evil. We're super obviously it is just a little incompetent. Bit like that now. There are yeah. some, I mean, lots of this is not stuff that's like easy to describe because her books tend to have like little action sequences and then many, many pages of like descriptions and conversations and like very low key stuff. And so in that, I think there's more of that, com- like the deep thought conversations that aren't as interesting okay. to talk about on a podcast. And I appreciate you not delving into these deep thought <laughs> conversations because I would not be awake probably in this <laughs> podcast. So I, I will trust you that she addresses those issues and those themes more fully in the writing. She does. So plane lands and it's like a three mile walk to the lab because it's along the beach line or something. And Adam is frustrated still, obviously complaining that he doesn't understand why he has to take sides at all, especially when he doesn't fully understand what's going on. That's fair. And, and Josh, is, but Josh is basically like, come on, dude, you're smart enough to know that O'Keefe clearly has done some research with high reaching implications that people want to steal. Like you, you've got to understand the basics of what's going on here, even if we haven't told you the specifics. So Adam points out that you can't keep scientific discovery is a secret or stop them from being misused, which is a valid point. (laughs) And Josh says that given what could happen and that he knows what could happen, he can't remain uncommitted to a side, uh, especially if he's in the middle of it, which he has now decided to be. Oh, okay. So he decided to be in the middle of it. And he's decided to work for O'Keefe. And Adam still, again, restates that he's like, I want more clarity before I decide. So he's oh, like, that's fair. standing strong. <laughs> I'm fair with you there, Adam. Information <laughs> before making big life-altering decisions is important. Yeah. So Josh is clearly a little frustrated, but gives him a tour as they head towards the lab. He's kind of just like, okay, like, fine, we'll give you some time. And basically this island, and on one side of the island is a resort that has come in in the last couple of years, and it's kind of slowly creeping over the rest of the island. It's a resort that's owned by the Cutters. Of course. And the lab is on the other side of the island, but they're likely moving at the end of the summer, given that it's much less remote than it used to be. So are they going to have to have like a breakdance contest to save the lab from the evil land developers? book, The Breakdance. Okay, good. Because, you know, (laughs) I know that's more of an 80s trope, but maybe Langdon was ahead of her time. (laughs) That's not in this book. It has nothing to do with the lab in this book. That's a whole other book. And Josh is going to head back to Lisbon that night. He doesn't stay on the island. And before they reach the lab, Adam asks him if he can get his phone number to contact him if he wants to, because they've kind of hit it off, obviously. And Josh writes it down and tells him to store it with his passport and that it's a private number. He needs to make sure he doesn't lose it or give it out to somebody. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you that. So they approach the lab, which is surrounded by some low buildings and bungalows. And Josh calls out and spilling out of the bungalows is a swarm of children and a woman. Oh, dear. And they all pile onto Josh. They're excited to see them. They're like, ooh, a new person. Hi, Adam. And the woman introduces herself as Meg O'Keefe. So that was Meg Murray from Wrinkle in Time. Yes. I, yes. 
Yes, the mom. He's introduced to the brood of children, which are not important. Except How many are there? <laughs> there are, oh gosh, I don't know. Because Polly's seven, 12. Wow. Eight. There's a lot. That means Meg has been just like reproducing like a rabbit. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. It's like the. That's like one a year. There's like, I think. I think there's maybe six-ish, somewhere in the, the ballpark. Okay, so one every other year then. And the only one that's important is Polly for this book anyway, who is alive and well. Well, that, that will really give you a complex as those children. <laughs> so Polly begs for a quick swim. Uh, she wants him to meet Macarena, and they all agree. Who, nobody knows who's at it. Like, that's not, you don't know who that is. And they all agree to meet up for lunch later and get to work in the afternoon. Uh, Dr. O'Keefe's like, I'll show you the lab later this afternoon. Adam's unsure what's going on, but he's like, sure, let's go for a swim. And they all go out there. They get into their swim trunks. Polly surges out into the ocean. She's a born swimmer. And Adam worries to Josh. He's like, oh, she's going kind of far out there. Is it is it safe to be out there? Josh tells him that it's like, it's fine. She's a natural swimmer. She's allowed to go out there if people are with her. And we've had some trouble with sharks on the at the hotel, but the water on this side is completely safe. Because sharks obviously can't swim around islands. <laughs> I promise that won't come into play or anything. Uh-huh. <laughs> also, I've seen Jaws 4. Sharks are very good at like tracking people down. We know this. We do know this. I don't know why so many of our media properties have sharks in them. <laughs> Apparently, I don't know if that says more about us or more about media. <laughs> they swim out behind her. She's out there, you know, swimming around. And Polly finally slows as she rolls onto her back. And then she, quote, begins making a series of strange breathy noises, which she repeated over and over again. Is she summoning a whale or a a, a horde of starfish? No. (laughs) I would probably not read this book if she was summoning a whale. (laughs) (laughs) So Josh points towards the rise and Adam looks out and he sees a flash of silver leap through the air and plunge back into the water. And Polly cries out, it's Macrina, she's here, and swims up to the dolphin. She hugs her, and they make noises at each other, and they're clearly very enthusiastic to be seeing each other. To be clear, whales, terrifying. Dolphins, A-OK. They're fine, yeah. I mean, not that I'd necessarily want to meet one in the ocean either, but, you know, (laughs) they protect from sharks, which maybe is why there's no sharks on that side of the island. (laughs) Also, dolphins are vicious. They are. I know, they're mean. Mean-spirited little things. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, she apparently has magic dolphin powers because she can, like, call to the dolphins. By making breathy noises and not, like, the clicks and chirps that they're known for. <laughs> yeah, she makes... I don't know. She makes... <laughs> I don't know what the noises sound like, Sam. I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> so, she asks Macarena to show her her flipper and, like, the she flips over on her side and does her little flipper thing and she kisses it and tells her she's wonderful and Macarena noses her and swims off into the, to the horizon. So, Polly has a friend dolphin here for presumably years because she's just coming from the states and has not been back for a while and nobody in the island knew about this no polly is not coming back from the states she lives in the island on the island i thought she was going visiting with talus oh she was visiting with talus to get away she's not coming to the island to get away oh she was okay she went to like boston and other places on vacation she lives on the island okay okay but still nobody knew about the dolphin no, they know about the dolphin, but nobody told Adam about the dolphin. So oh. she's all like, well, let's no go see Adam anything. <laughs> And everybody's like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Go have fun. And he's like, who's Macarena? <laughs> and they're like, you'll find out. Oh, God, I hate these people. <laughs> and Polly doesn't realize that he doesn't know because she's like, Does, did anybody tell him about Macarena? And Josh is like, no. Nobody tells him anything. <laughs> And she's like, no. And that's what Polly complains about, too. She's like, nobody tells me anything. I don't even know what happened after we split up at the hotel. I'm not a little kid. Well, okay. (laughs) 
So they head in for lunch, and during it, he gets a call from Callie, who tries to get him to come to dinner at the hotel that night, the hotel that her father owns. So come again, eat with me, Adam. This is like I'm the not most suspicious at all. Non-secret plan ever. Like she calls up and is like, "Hey, why don't you come out and hang out? We can chat. And we talk can talk about, about all your espionage." <laughs> <laughs> and yes. how much the how much the O'Keefe suck? Oh, hi, Mr. O'Keefe. Didn't realize I was on speakerphone. <laughs> it's crazy. So he's like, okay, I can't go tonight because I literally just got here. That'd be super rude. But I could meet you tomorrow for dinner if they're okay with it. Again, what is the plan? I don't understand this plan. I don't, Danielle. There is no plan. The plan is to be as suspicious as possible. I hope it all works out. <laughs> After lunch, Adam heads out to the lab to meet the starfish, and there's oh, a hi, Joe, starfish hi. boss. <laughs> yeah. Shakes the hands, the many hands of the starfish. That's going to take a long time. They got five each. <laughs> well, some of them don't because he's doing regeneration. Oh, that's so mean. <laughs> so they have a conversation about starfish, why starfish and humans took different paths evolution-wise. So was it happenstance, mutations, choice? Like, what was it? Probably like pressures from environmental pressures. And <laughs> I like the idea that it was choice, though, because I have a little conversation about that, and that's it's funny. <laughs> like, is, okay. <laughs> like, one of the starfish was like, I think I'm going to be human. <laughs> Bye. See y'all later. <laughs> Great. Of course, to be clear, people did not evolve from starfish. No. It's like a starfish <laughs> is like, I'm going to become a human. They, they have a common ancestor. No, I know. <laughs> but I just like the idea, like, because the, they talk about the idea of, like, fate and making decisions and, like, how much that impacts evolution. Sure. So, okay. O'Keefe asks him what he knows about working with starfish, like, how, how you go about doing any kind of experimentation on them. And this is what I learned from the book. I don't know uh -oh. if it's true. Listeners, feel free. Tell us. Yeah, I am not qualified to talk okay. about any of this either, so I'm just going to let you go. So if a starfish feels like its arm is being threatened, it'll drop off and grow another. So you have to put an, an anesthetic in the water so that it can't tell that it's being threatened, essentially. And an isolated arm can't regenerate on its own. There always has to be a piece of the central disc or it won't regrow, basically. So it needs its nerves to regrow. Okay, like a lizard in its tail. I did. Well, the tail doesn't, like, grow back into a lizard, though. It just drops off. This... Right, but the arm doesn't grow back into a starfish either, is the point. Right, but that's one of the things that they've been working on in their experiments. Oh, they're trying to make, they're trying to clone starfish from the arms. Sort of. I mean, they also are regenerating arms, but they're also seeing if they can make, like, starfish grow from arms if they add, I think. So, <laughs> I could be wrong. <laughs> like, I think if they're trying to put nerves into an arm and see if it'll regrow as a starfish. Okay. So in their experiments, they've been taking nerve rings from around the mouth of the animal, transplanting them into the isolated arms, and the arms produces its own central disc, and after about four to five months, there's a starfish, and it's like a whole starfish again. So it's not that they're trying to grow starfish from the arms, they have succeeded in growing starfish from they've the arms. They've done a lot of things on this island, Sam, a lot of things. <laughs> this island. <laughs> Are they evil or not? <laughs> I mean... This You'll is a fine out. line between science and mad science. So Adam's obviously super amazed by this, thinks it's awesome. This is like his whole thing he wants to do with marine biology. And O'Keefe cautions him. He's like, do you understand that the, and the implications of this if we could actually get it to work on humans? And he you says- clone people. <laughs> he says, the dangers are so horrifying, they hardly bear thinking about. If unscrupulous men got hold of this, it would be like letting loose the power of the atom for devastation, for death instead of life. Which is what has happened? Right. So he's 
he was comparing it to like the atomic bomb. Oh, with, okay. With the rest so he's of like, his speech. people have used these similar discoveries for evil, but I'm going to make yeah. it anyway. <laughs> well, that's why he's being so cautious, or supposedly being so cautious with, with his information. Are they being really cautious, Danielle? I've been very little no. cautious in this book. Okay. <laughs> They think they are. It's a lie. The talk turns to Polly, who he admits has the making of a scientist, Dr. O'Keefe does. But he's trying to keep her out of the lab, obviously, because it's become a, a threat to her. And Adam asks if that's why she was kidnapped was because she knew too much. And O'Keefe believes that that's why she was kidnapped. So the plan was to hold her as hostage. But when Adam opened the door at the hotel, he became more important than Polly. I don't see how that's true. I don't see how that's true either, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like holding her hostage for information ransom would be way more effective than implanting Adam as perhaps an incompetent mole. Yeah, or unwilling. He might not do anything. And they had right. a whole child with them that they couldn't use. A whole used. child. Not just half a child, <laughs> a whole child. They had one of his children to use as hostage, but they decided, mm, you know what's a better option? This kid that we know nothing about. I swear, the cutters just want to fail. <laughs> this is I think they have one of those things where they're like af- either afraid of success or they've had so much success just like hand to them as a wealthy family that they think they cannot possibly fail. Yeah. It's insane. And Adam also is like, oh, not confused by this because nobody seems to be confused by this. But he's basically like, well, you just told me that, you know, all the science is documented. Everything you do at the lab is not a secret. It's, you know, well, well known what you're doing. So what could they gain from kidnapping Polly or, sure. you know, whatever? And basically, O'Keefe is like, well, not all of my work is done in the lab. <laughs> Some of it's done in the bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, that'd be the best way to finish that line. (laughs) And Adam's like, man, I don't even know what's going on. I don't know where I stand. I'm very confused, but I don't want to hurt Polly again. I don't really want to hurt you. I'm very interested in your work and your family seems great. And I will turn down the dinner with Callie. Like, I'll kind of want to commit to you, but I'm not 100% sure. And O'Keefe basically says to Adam, I want to trust you, but obviously I can't until you figure out more clearly where you stand. So because of that, you go have dinner with Callie, figure it out, come back here when you like decide what you're going to do. Adam's like, I want to commit more to you. And O'Keefe is like, no, don't commit more to me now. Go talk to Callie and then maybe commit more to me later. Because he's still wishy-washy about it. He's like, I, like obviously, I really I got like it. Polly. He's I like, like everybody. Go talk but- to Callie. See, she's evil. And then you'll be more willing to commit to us. But also, he was already extending the olive branch, so to speak. He was already willing to reach out and like form this connection. You're like, ah, instead of taking you to my confidence now when you're willing to, I'm just going to give you another chance to change your mind again. Exactly. <laughs> Great. Cool. He wants Everyone here makes good sure. choices. <laughs> and that, Sam, is where we're going to end this chapter of <laughs> the book. Will he have dinner with Callie? What will happen? He's, Why is there a magic dolphin? <laughs> it's going to we, we, like, That's obvious, Stacey. I think you already mentioned it once, but also the fact that they're pushing him. Like, he's going to have to interact with them more to finally get his big revelation about who he's going to side with. Yes. There's no good place to end this. This is where we're ending it. <laughs> I, look, I don't know if it's a good or a bad place. It certainly feels like Adam as a character has made very little progress in his thinking <laughs> since the start so, of this book. So little progress. <laughs> I'll be honest, the character I'm most interested in right now is Callie. <laughs> Which like, you get to meet in the next chapter when yeah. he may or may not go to dinner with her. How does she feel about all of this? Like maybe, and this would be interesting, it's not going to happen because it'd be interesting, but this would be interesting. 
Maybe Adam can turn Callie against her father and realize that the O'Keefe's are not so bad and she can become like a reverse double agent. Yeah. Ooh, that may or may not happen. I'm not going to tell you. Okay. Well, that'd be a lot more sense than this whole, uh, give up the kidnapped child for the wishy-washy teenager plan that the cutters have. I like that you're uh, so involved in this that the magic dolphin didn't seem to make any kind of headway. (laughs) Danielle, look, dolphins are very smart. There was that study about scientists living with a dolphin in the 70s and giving it LSD or something. So (laughs) it's fine. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that. That was post-Madeline Lee and Gold Dolphins. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm just saying, with with the power of hindsight, I'm not surprised by anything that people do with dolphins. (laughs) Oh, so much to, to find out in this next chapter. Will Adam choose a side? Is Callie evil? Uh, Why is that dolphin in, in the book? Do we <laughs> yeah, care? Is it involved at all? Does it matter? Also, uh, the book is called The Arm of the Starfish. Do those ever come back again? Or yeah. is it just sort of there as like, hey, uh, we can clone starfish now. Cool. <laughs> Are starfish involved with the rest of this book? Who knows? Find out next week on Book Retorts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Was this freaking Flash Gordon? <laughs> there's so there's so many like weird things in this book. This plan also, is this plan gonna work? <laughs> no, I have a question that's legit. What's up with Canon Talus? Like he went on his little side oh, mission. Man. And he barely, I'm not even sure he comes back in the rest of this book. No spoiler there, I guess. Okay, so <laughs> let, me be, let me be clear about this. Canon Talus is flying this little girl back to her family. They have an unexpected layover in Madrid. And he decides, you know what? I think I'm done with this child and gives it to Adam <laughs> and then just leaves. And that's like, that's it for him. That is no, his character. His I just character remembered he, he does actually come back in the second okay. half of this book. I just recalled. <laughs> Okay. I'm about to be like, if his whole character arc is priest who abandons child to <laughs> random stranger, that would be amazing. He is a prominent character in another one of Madeline Lingle's books. All right, sure. But I don't know that. <laughs> I know. I was just saying, like, for some reason, thought he disappeared entirely and also thought that was weird. But then I just recalled he does come back just a little bit in the second second half. Also, I swear, if this turns into a thing where like the starfish are sentient and they're trying to tell us and help us save the world, I will be very upset. <laughs> oh, man. I first off wish that was the case and would not put that past Madeline Lingle. I know. It sounds very much bit. like something she would do. Yeah, like, no, we have to listen to the starfish. They're trying to help us. They're trying to sacrifice themselves or teach us science or teach us like about our shared ancestry in some weird way. That is legitimately that's probably like the plot that she had originally and then decided like, oh, maybe I'll go a little more serious with this story. No, Madeline Lingle, trust your instincts. <laughs> go with the psychic starfish. Go with the starfish trying their best to communicate to humans through science on how to improve the world and save it from, I don't know, communism or pollution or whatever. I that says something. a lot about Madeline Lingle that that's a valid plot line. Was it like her whole thing about A Wrinkle in Time, that like Time Quartet series about nuclear war or something? There is a lot of... Uh, yes, because the third book is pretty exclusively about nuclear war. Dr. O'Keefe was talking about how, you know, oh, we, we can't use this power for evil, much like the atomic bomb and the atom was being used for evil. So maybe they start feeling like, hey, we can teach you some stuff and make sure you're good this time and not repeat the mistakes you made with the nuclear program. I think she didn't go with that plot line because she has another book, I think it was after this, that has psychic dolphins. So I Okay, I was wondering, I heard about that book. I was wondering <laughs> if that was- It's a fabulous book. It is by far my favorite Madeline Lingle book. I was wondering if the psychic dolphins were her or if I was just like conflating that with another book because there was no, a dolphin in this book. That is definitely, and it's, 
it's is not this dolphin it's, like the, the it's not that dolphin I, they might be related like the parent I don't of the all the other, like, all psychic dolphins harken back to the one that polly met in a weird island <laughs> It's not quite it, but it does all tie in together. All right. Well, I am super curious to figure out what's going to happen in the next session. I want to know, one, does Adam ever grow a spine? <laughs> because we talk about how humans and starfish are apparently both vertebrates. Not sure if that's true, but I believe it. But does he ever actually become a true vertebrate and grow a spine and pick a side? I want to know about that. <laughs> He's spineless right now. He's just a blob. <laughs> he is basically a jellyfish. Become a starfish. That's why he's so interested in starfish. Ooh, if I only had one of these. He's like the Tin Man. He's like, if I only had a spine, he's like, if I had a heart, he could go to the Wizard of Oz. That'd be his thing he would need if he was in the Wizard of Oz as a spine. <laughs> Poor Adam. Just thrust into this as a 16-year-old on his first overseas adventure. And look what happens to him. I mean, meeting a pretty girl. That's cool. Getting kidnapped. Not cool. Having a child you've just been given care of kidnapped, also not cool. I would say he's verging on the not cool side of this vacation. I think he's going to give like a two-star rating on TripAdvisor. <laughs> well, we'll find out. All right. Well, if anyone out there has any notions about what's going on, can answer any of our myriad questions about biology of starfish, the concepts of life. And I, there are so many questions we had in this book. I don't even know where to begin. But <laughs> There was a whole round. There was like halfway through this episode, we had like eight questions in a row. <laughs> yeah. So you've listened to the episode. You, you got us. Just email us the answer to any one of our questions. I, whatever. It's fine. I'm sure we'll figure it out. <laughs> and you can do that at bookretorts.com. Or you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Book Retorts. And until next time. Bye. Take care, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Be a drummer reviewer. Wow, that sounds like a drummer. Oh, that one doesn't. <laughs> be me. Like, well, yeah. <laughs> they seemed like they were in tempo. <laughs> my my drum reviews would just be binary. Is does this person sound like a drummer or do they not? Um, and that'd be it. It'd be like, yeah, sure, they could pass for a drummer in my opinion. Or that that seems like a professional some weird review site that would actually catch on and people would totally like check that out. And like that, it'd only be like one sentence, yes or no. Like the whole review would be like, uh, give me a song. Yeah, that guy sounds like a drummer. <laughs> That's why it'd be funny. My qualifications are non-existent. <laughs>